Diocese of Davenport, Vision 2020, Convocation, June 6th through the 8th, 2019, at St. Ambrose University, Davenport, Iowa. Breakout session, evangelization teams, now what? Michael and Tasha Hamperkamp, June 6th, 2019. Copyright 2019, Diocese of Davenport. Thank you, Father Guillermo. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Michael. This is my wife, Tasha. Uh, like he said, we do work at St. Paul's. She's been there about six years. I've been there five. I just follow her around. Whatever she, whatever she does, I just say, okay, yes, dear. So, so, happy marriage. That happy marriage? I'm sorry, and yes, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> if only it were that easy. So she told me that we should probably start in prayer. So let's do that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, send your spirit uh, to this room. Help us to know uh, what to do with our teams. And some of us may not even have a team. What team? But uh, know how we should gather and organize and strategize and pray and think about how to respond to this call. We, we, we want to do something. We, we have a heart uh, for it, but uh, allow us to know uh, through your great wisdom uh, what it is that we can do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Awesome. Before he starts and kicks us off, I just want to say we are not experts. <laughs> we are in this together. We may have had some experience with trying some things on for size, but um, we really want this to be a session that we're working together, and so we're going to give you some practical things that we've done and try to kind of steer you in some directions that we've gone, but we know that not one size fits all and nothing is perfect, and so we just want to say that caveat before we get started. <laughs> Am I starting now? Oh, yeah, yes, me. you okay. are starting. So, a question for everybody. Um, as Mike did in the presentation earlier, the break or the keynote, just shout out a couple of people. Describe your evangelization team. Father has to do everything. Okay. Anybody else? Go ahead. Mostly older people. Mostly older, okay. Um, I work in campus ministry, so I would say, uh, like, my student leaders, and we also in the last year working with uh, Focus okay. as well. Okay, all right, great. And we've been working with DC as well. Oh, nice, awesome, cool. It's Father's job. It's Father's <laughs> job, okay. Anybody else? Hospitality. Hospitality. Because really, at the cathedral, that's one of the things that you've got to start at least when you've got to be you know, this welcoming face, and more than just, you know, like, throw a, a book or a bulletin at them. You yep. know, it's just so engaging and opening doors and welcoming and, you know, just really being there for Cool. Hospitality. Not uh, confused. Confused. Great one. Uh, ours are small church groups. Small church groups. Okay. We have four, our, our deacon and three lay women. Three lay women. Okay. Anybody else? I heard a lot of non-existent, but we do have some teams established already. Is that correct? And maybe some that don't have any. Okay, that helps us a lot, actually, as we go forward. So go ahead. It does. And uh, what we're here to do is not necessarily talk to talk about how do I go out and evangelize, but it's how do I organize a team that's going to be like the center, the hub, the spark for, for our parish. And of course you're doing this in collaboration with your priest, with your deacon, uh, with parish staff members, but all of us are a part of this. All, right? all of us are called to, to, to evangelize. So again, we're not talking about going out yet. We're not going to offer like these practical tools of what, what you need to hand out when people arrive to your church, or what exactly do I say to my colleague or you know the person, hey, Andre, uh, we're going to talk about what do I do to build a team, all right? The evangelization team. The first person that I asked, uh, I, I said, "Hey, well, nice, nice to meet you. Tell me, just because we're, we'll give it some context for for this breakout. What does your team look like?" And you said, "We we would call this session um, evangelization teams. We don't have one now. What?" Yeah. So he said, "What team? You know, I don't have a team." Uh, some people were just hand-selected, saying, hey, I really want you to come to this convocation. So you, you just came. All right, this is not going to be a one-size-fits-all, but it will be as practical as we can get it. What we've done, uh, when we first came to St. Paul's six years ago, seven years ago uh, now, of starting a, a, a core team, all right? This core team, we didn't call it an evangelization team, we just called it a core team. But how did this core team start interacting with each other? How did we build a culture of evangelization that started with, with this core team? That's what you're going to learn today. 
So if half the room leaves, they're like, I didn't come here for that. That wouldn't uh, surprise me, but that's what we're going to hear. So uh, I just wanted to couch this biblically in, in one uh, particular book. So Acts 2, this is where uh, Pentecost is, uh, comes from, very beginning. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but Pentecost comes. Who knows how Acts 2 ends the very last verses of, of the second book of, of Acts? You can just flip to it. <clears throat> it's really interesting. The beginning is like God's initiative in sending the Holy Spirit. And you all are here because God, God's initiative. God brought you here. All right? It didn't come of your own. God brought, brought you here. But now you're asking, what should we do in response to this great fire? You know, This bookmark end of the second chapter of Acts... Once we really looked at what our teams uh, had actually done, we thought, wow, that, that sums it up. We didn't know that we were following this biblical mandate, really, at first. We're not that smart. But we looked back on it and we said, wow, that, that actually is the core of what we're doing. So all the believers, and I love this word, devoted themselves to these four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing meals, including but not not exclusively the Lord's Supper. There's more than one type of meal here. And prayer. All right? If you go to the next one, um, I want to talk about that word devotion. All right? Because like what we're talking about here and how the Holy Spirit works is not through a technique. It's, you're, you're not going to hear a, a formula, add water and stir, and this is what going to happen. It wasn't that we, every once in a while, or haphazardly, uh, did these things. Our experience was absolute devotion to these things. And I, I think that that is really at the center of why this evangelization team really works. is because it wasn't just a mere practice we did on occasion but we are truly de- devoted to it. So if you go back to de- go back to the definition of devotion, it's love or loyalty or enthusiasm for a person, cause, or an activity. And the next slide is, you know, according to Acts 2, what, what's the person, cause, and activity? How would you, who, what's the person that we're devoted to here? Jesus. It's Jesus, obviously. I mean, that should go without saying, but sometimes as Catholics we miss it, you know. We have such an enormous tradition. Uh, Jeff Cavins calls it a pile of Catholicism. Sometimes we don't know where the ba- what the backbone is, you know, what the center of it re- really is. It's the person of Jesus and an absolute devotion to him. Everything that we've done really at St. Par- Paul's that's actually worked was because it was modeling Jesus Christ first. So total devotion, you know, to him. What would you say our cause is? The kingdom. The kingdom. Yeah, that's a great summation of it. And what's the activity? Evangelization. Yeah. yeah. Give that woman a prize. You know, like she, got, she got like two of them. She was reading her notes or something. Teaching, fellowship. Yeah. I mean, that's really at the core. A devotion to, to those things is going to make your, your team uh, really thrive. I think Tasha's so, going. Yep. yep. So we're going to break it down a little bit for you and talk about these four things and just give you our experience and maybe some caveats to these four devotions how it's worked for us, what we find, found was helpful. And take it or leave it, but if there are tips that can help you, great. Please ask questions as we go along. Um, like I said, I'm not sure we have everything perfect, but we've, got, we've had some things that work. So go to the next one. So yep. the first one we're going to talk about is devotion to prayer. Um, the number one non, non-negotiable. It's not even the first one in the order, but we cannot overemphasize this enough. A lot of times when you start reading books or you see those books that were thrown up on the screen or we start talking about evangelization, we can move our heads into theory and ideas and action and forget the most essential thing that we need to do. When our evangelization team started to meet, like Michael said, we call it a core team, the first thing that we did is we gathered in, so our offices at St. Paul's are what used to be the rectory of the church. Uh, We didn't know what to do. We just knew we we all cared about the same thing. We wanted our church to be on fire for the Lord. We had no idea how to do this. So what we did first was gathered in a room that used to be a bedroom. You know how these these rectories can look? There was a bedroom up in the corner that had turned into an office that was cleared out. 
we had folding chairs, and we took four folding chairs, and we met, and there was a non-negotiable of every Tuesday at 1 o'clock, we would gather, and the first thing that we did was pray. And who was this? Who gathered? So our priest, our director of parish life, and the two of us. Now, that is not a formula either. You might, it might not even be parish staff for the people ready to do this or have the availability to do this. But one of the things I would encourage you to, as you leave here, a big shift for me personally was to stop praying about what I need to do and start praying about who I need to invite. That shift in prayer led me, and I would say Michael, to people that we wouldn't have envisioned being a part of the process um, and took us outside of a comfort zone, I think. So I really strongly, in all of these areas that we're talking about, pray about the who. Who is your team? If you don't have a team, start praying about the who. Lord, show me. Let me have eyes to see who you're calling to this group. You start praying about that, and people will light up in front of you that you never thought possible for this. Um, and I've really seen the fruit of that. So pray about the who, um, and then gather and pray together. So I want to say something about prayer. Um, as, as Mike said, and we said, we are a rich tradition, and we have a lot of different ways to pray. Um, one isn't necessarily better than the other. It's just important that we do it. I would strongly, strongly encourage, if it's out of your comfort zone, to pray spontaneously to start to lean into that a little bit. So maybe your group gathers and you feel more comfortable praying in adoration for 20 minutes together. And then you close in a circle and you pray from the heart. Today's gospel is John 17. It is Jesus' final prayer. It is so beautiful. And it's not rote. It is his heart. And so if we can just start to get comfortable to say what we're sharing with the Lord out loud, that is a witness for other people. So that's what we did. We got together. We would usually have some sort of some sort of thing that we were looking at or inspired by, and we would pray, and it was from the heart. And there, there was a couple of us in the room who were really uncomfortable with that, and it was a huge stretch, but it was a safe space to do it in. Um, and even if we didn't feel comfortable, we grew into our comfort of that. Um, and I think there's beauty in that. And, and another thing that we did is it, instead of just praying, it's kind of like, all right, we said our prayer, and then we were to fold up our folding chairs and, and leave. We, we, we selected, you know, readings, uh, whether they were from the scriptures or from books that uh, were challenging us with evangelization. And I would call it, we wrestled. We wrestled. Me and another, one of our staff members in particular, they call me right brain and they call her left brain. And there were moments that I think that, that Tasha thought that an absolute fight was going to break out or something like that about what we were saying, because we were so passionate. We actually disagreed on, on some things. And over time, she influenced me in healthy ways. I've influenced her in healthy ways. But I think the point is we had to be passionate and honest. We had to be really, really honest and pray about what really was. What is the state of our parish? What is the state of most of our, our folks in our parish? Who are reaching, who are we not, not reaching? Get it honest. And pray through... You know, those things. It set up a, a culture, that prayer and that wrestling set up a culture of, of honesty, of transparency, of dialogue, and engaging the real thing. And I would say, too, like, the whole point of what we're trying to do is to help, to, evangelization is about helping people get in touch with Jesus and helping people be on fire in their faith. We have to be able to look back at ourselves and say, where am I at? And I need my, I need my team, I need my, my honestly, that we still, that group still meets every week. We've added people to that group. Um, but it's sort of our, it's our upper room. It's what we call it. Because we get together, we sort of share the struggles and the blessings, and then we pray. And we always open and close in prayer. But um, it gives me the fuel to have the fire to be able to go out in the mess and into the difficult and into the no-planned place. Um, but I need, that to, I need that for my own personal prayer life, too, to be in check and to make sure that I'm in a good place with the Lord. So... Uh, this might help. What, what this has turned into, we have a, a, our Tuesday morning tea time. All right, this is our upper, upper room time. Uh, it's every single week, uh, rain or shine, no matter what's happening, we commit to this. All right, so we pray every single week together. The group is expanded. We have a principal that, that comes and another that comes. Uh, one thing that Father once said, Father Tony, uh, he was talking about something else of, of how cool it would be to get a group of people, maybe a small group of lay people, to help reflect with him on the upcoming scriptures that he was going to preach on. Like how cool would it be to, to see them through the lenses of, of folks who are different, different from him? Right, great idea. We end up incorporating that like into our staff time and sometimes into our, our prayer time, you know, to let those scriptures that he's going to be 
the preaching on kind of inform us and inform uh, what we're talking and, and praying about. Just an idea, yeah. you know. But you, you, you know, there's no one size fits all. Make it your own, but do it regularly. Pray passionately. Be honest. And one other thing too, that a fruit of this was it took this took five years for us to get to this point. But um, our church this past fall. In, in conversations in this room, it was like we need to expand our prayer efforts. If we want to, if we want the Holy Spirit to be emboldened in our church, we need to pray more. We don't need to do more; we need to pray more. So our church sort of developed a, a thing we call perpetual prayer, um, and it's just that every hour of the day, we're trying to get covered by a parishioner to say, "Will you cover this hour in prayer?" And there are people that are up at three a.m. We don't have an adoration chapel, so the chapel isn't open. But we're asking them at your home devote to this time. Get up as a couple, as an individual, whatever it might be. And then we send an email out weekly so that every person in our parish is prayed over throughout the year. So I think that this really matters and it makes a difference. And we've seen fruit this year more than we have in many years um, after this prayer effort. And we don't even have all the hours covered yet, but we had to start somewhere. So I think that was also been a fruitful thing, too. I was sitting around a bonfire in the back uh, of our house a few weeks ago. uh, And a friend of mine, who I hadn't seen for a while, uh, we were talking. And uh, we were talking about hard times that he had been going through. And uh, I had been, I'd mentioned, oh, you know, you've been really on my mind this week because this week we prayed for you. You were featured in that list of names uh, for, for this week. The grown man started crying. He, he just started weeping you know, right there. There were other men on the other side of the bonfire. They were in their own conversation. He started crying. And he told me that that week he had just experienced this sudden, unpredicted, like, surge of encouragement about this thing, this struggle that he had gone through. And, and we both realized it in the moment that that was, that was truly the power of so many people praying for him. They just said his name. Maybe they didn't even know him or his struggles that he was going through. They said his name, lifted him up to, to Jesus. This prayer, people, it matters. It matters. So that's why, that's why it's the first. Okay. Uh, devotion to apostles' teaching. I wanted to organize this slide so that you couldn't see this Joy of the Gospel is our working document. I would ask you, what is the modern working document like for the apostles' teaching on evangelization? And this is really it. I mean, in 2013 when this came out, and I, I read it, uh, it was... It was very moving for me. This is like a distillation of so much of the best of uh, the Catholic tradition on evangelization. It is the Magna Carta of Catholic evangelization today. So there's a lot of documents that went into it. There's 288 paragraphs of the whole thing. Probably more than that in footnotes. But it's absolutely uh, beautiful. So how many of you guys have read it? I have read The Joy of the Gospel. How many of you guys have not? I've never touched this thing. Yes. Get your hands on it. I mean, get dirty. Uh, I mean, you really have to get into it. And I would always challenge people, read the first 49 paragraphs, the introduction in chapter 1. See if you can stop. See if you can stop. That 49th you know, paragraph is, I'd rather have a church that's bruised, hurting, and dirty because it's been out on the streets. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's bold, it's real, it's so accessible. It's like you're just talking with Pope Francis like in your, around your kitchen table. Right? But it's so right on the money when it comes to evangelization. It is, it offers the best of our teaching on evangelization. So we have like uh, studies that you could do. Part of this Vision 2020 process was to get evangelization teams and whole parishes to reflect on the joy of the gospel. I wrote a study. There was like probably four or five other studies that were available. But take advantage of those because it's a really excellent uh, document. So just a few. We won't go through all of these, but I quoted this earlier. Uh, the, the joy of the gospel fills hearts and lives of all those who encounter Jesus Christ. I mean, it's all really about this, this encounter. So that's the center of the whole thing. Uh, have we forgotten that evangelization is first about preaching the gospel to those who don't know it? Or have always rejected it? You know, we can't be keepers of the aquarium. We've got to go out and be fishers of men and women. If that makes us uncomfortable, okay. It makes us uncomfortable. You know what you do with that uncomfort, that discomfort? You pray about it. I don't want to do this, Lord. I'm really uncomfortable with this, Lord, but help me, because I know that we have to. 
All right. This is uh, Mike stole half my slides on here, but these are like some of the, the, the best uh, quotes I feel like from the early parts of, of this uh, document. But you know, uh, he had this "I have a dream" portion of the the document, and that's right here in chapter twenty-seven. But transforming everything uh, so that everything is channeled for effective evangelization—that is the only reason we really exist. As a, as a church, we exist to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So that has to be like our waking thought. And when we go to bed at night, what we're thinking about, uh, too. All right. That's it. Oh, there's, there might be another. Oh, there. Nope, we're All right, here we go. <laughs> Tasha's doing this one. All right. Um, when you think of devotion, think, give me examples of something you can be devoted to. Our kids. Our kids. Mm. What else? Spouse, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Some take it to that level, right? <laughs> what else? Our, Our faith. Yep, the Irish. What else? Anything else you can think of? Maybe a sick parent. I like that you said kids. You spent a lot. Of, somebody said to me once. Um, um, actually, it was Andre's wife. I'll never forget this. She said, "I didn't understand adoration until I had an infant myself, and I could just stare for hours at this child. It's like, oh, that's such a beautiful image." of adoration and devotion. So when we talk about devotion, the apostles talk about devotion. These are not words we can take lightly. These aren't just perfunctory things we do or that are on the agenda. This is at the heart of all that we do. So when they say devotion to fellowship, I just envision what it must have been like in the Acts of the Apostles. Can you imagine what, how much that fellowship mattered to be able to have the boldness to bring the faith in this time frame? I just I can't even fathom what that looked like or how beautiful it must have been. So when we talk about devotion to fellowship, what I love about this is you're going to hear this a lot this week. You're going to, or this, during this convocation, you're going to hear it all. It's a, just through the theme of everything I'm reading is talking about fellowship and how important this is. And a lot of it comes back to this idea of spiritual friendship and this idea of taking things further than just merely, than just merely surface relationships. Um, when was the last time somebody called you and asked you to go to lunch for coffee and then sat down face-to-face with you and asked you, how are you in Jesus? How is your prayer life? How is how are you feeling with God these days? Raise your hand if you can say that has happened within the last month in your life. Raise your hand if you can Not say lunch. lunch, coffee, something, right? Beer. It's happened within the last year. Okay. This is a non-negotiable. We all should be doing this. The fact that so few of us raised our hand says something. I ache for that. I ache for somebody to call me up and say, hey, let's go get coffee. I want to hear how you're really doing. And I want to hear how you are with the Lord. When that does happen, it is a privileged and beautiful place to be. Um, And I think we get afraid of it sometimes. I think there's fear there because we think we have to have the right words or we're afraid to even just ask the question. Um, But this is what that fellowship looked like. When those apostles were getting together, they, they weren't just talking about family. They weren't just talking about the weather. They were rooted and grounded in their following of Jesus. And they were inspired together in fellowship. So this is, this is one of those things that we can talk, we can say fellowship. And a lot of times when you hear fellowship, um, it can mean cookies and lemonade. Mike said that too, right, in the keynote. He said, it can, sometimes people, when they're talking about fellowship, they are um, hospitality. That's kind of what we go to. And it can mean just having cookies and juice at an event, which is a great thing to have. But we miss this relational connection that is the, the key to fellowship. Yeah, and this, the relationships are really everything. We're going to spend a lot of time uh, on this. But um, people are, are pining that for, they're hurting, they're aching for connection. And I learned this uh, yesterday. This comes from uh, psychological uh, disciplines. Attunement. They want people to be attuned to them. You know, to be cared, to care. Stuff. I'm stealing, yeah. I'm, I'm just stealing my people, Andre up. But I want somebody to engage me and to express to me that they care enough to say, hey, how are you? I'm going to initiate with you, whether it's a beer or, hey, do you want to go and watch this game? you want to go play golf? you you, know, you want to grab lunch, have a cup of coffee? But really, what I care about is, is you and how you're doing. You know, and just, it's as simple as that. I usually start with that question. How are you, you know, these days? No, really. You know, like, how, how are you? And then you go down that rabbit hole, you know. But I, I, 
I want to ask you guys a question about relationship building. How, how, if, that, if that's what fellowship really is, is building authentic relationships, tell me how you do it. What are some of the ingredients, like the key ingredients of, of fellowship, of relationships, of connection? <clears throat> what are they? Ooh, you've got a look on your face. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I was just going to say vulnerability. Ooh, one of my favorite words of all time. He's buttering me up, this guy. Did you put him? Did you? I did him not. Ball? I did not pay him for that. <laughs> no vulnerability. Why? Why though? Why did you say vulnerability like right off the bat? Um, I think just in my own like experience and in like really coming in to know my faith more. It was other men who were like very vulnerable about mm. their own lives and things that they were going through. Mm. Their relationship with Christ that helped me. Mm. Oh my God. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, what happens if we got together and you said, I'm really struggling with something? I said, I never struggle with that. I'm excellent at that. Matter of fact, I'm excellent at everything. And uh, I'm very holy. And, uh, you know. I mean, so, so let's like move on to the next word, which I've come up with, which is authenticity. Authenticity, yeah. But it, you're right. You, I mean, you have to be uh, vulnerable. So allowing people to see you as you really are, taking that first step of saying, no, my life isn't perfect. I struggle with a lot of things. Matter of fact, let me tell you a story about this or that. Vulnerability. How else do you, you were saying authenticity. Tell me more about that. Building a relationship requires authenticity. Yeah, not pretending to be somebody you're not. Not Mm -hmm. pretending to be Mr. Holy and Superman. Mm -hmm. Because I can't speak for anybody else, but I mistrust that almost upon first Mm -hmm. hearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But don't you feel some sort of pressure, like, all right, Deacon Dan, you're a deacon, or you're you're on the evangelization team, or you work for the diocese of Davenport, and so do you feel like, wow, I I should know all the answers. I should. What happens if they ask me a really tough question? You know, I can't say I don't know. Well, yeah, you can. (laughs) I don't know about that one, but let's look into that together or something. Being authentic is, is perfect. All right, what's another one? Relationship building. Not expecting anything in return. So I'm doing it not for me. I'm doing it for you. I really care about you. And what's the trick of God in God's design for the universe? When we do that, when we give ourselves away, what happens to us? We're filled. (laughs) We were just talking about that the other night, too, is... That's this great trick. You ever read uh, Brother Lawrence, uh, The Practice of the Presence of God? Yep. You know, this beautiful text from the 17th century, but he's, he's trying to trick God you know, and just do things without God knowing about it. And because, but God always turns it around and tricks him back and then blesses him a hundred times over every time that he does something totally selfless for God. Yeah, that's, that's actually the blueprint for our own, our own happiness. But we have to get out of ourselves. Yeah. Intimacy. Mm. A friend of mine described it as into me see. Mm. Ooh. That's cool. Tell me more about that. Into me see. Um, basically kind of what he was talking about, being vulnerable, you know, and sharing those parts of yourself that you don't want anybody necessarily to see. I've been involved in a prayer group with uh, a different group of men over the last 20 years. Mm. Um, and uh, it's just been really powerful. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it is connected with that sometimes, vulnerability. Sometimes when you get the opportunity to, to really um, allow someone to come in or they allow Mm-hmm. It's a sacred space. What happens if you, we have that kind of... You're not going to air your laundry with everybody, right? You can't do that with everybody. But with a trusted group, let's say in that group, somebody says, guys, I... I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I'm really, really struggling with something. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's I'm, I'm so short and angry with my kids. They've never done that. Yeah. Uh, me and my wife, here's, here's one that happens all, all the time. Our marriage is really struggling. You know? And what, what do you think happens in that room? Like, do people, do people go, oh, gosh. I'm, I, I, don't, I, guess I, I guess I underestimated or overestimated you. I guess I'm kind of going to distance myself. But you're not as perfect as I thought. Is, does that happen? Or does something else happen when somebody else is vulnerable? I'm going to relate to it because somebody else will voice something that maybe, you know, they're struggling with also. It's like this huge sides in the room. It's like, oh my gosh, 
I thought you'd never say that. I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one. Because we all, there's, no, there's not a new struggle under the sun. We all struggle with the same stuff. It's such human nature. So, yes. And I think uh, I'm going to blaze through some of um, these. Taking the initiative we didn't talk about, but. I want to say something. Yes, do. Can an introvert do this? Oh. Tell me about that. How? What if you're I'm an introvert. It's not my gig. You are an introvert. But I'm a very good listener. Fantastic. And most introverts really are. They, this is a generalization, but they're usually pretty good at hearing people in a way that sometimes extroverts are too distracted to understand. How else, Andre? I think introverts need to reach the introverts. Some of them, because the extroverts are going to freak them out. Yes. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> um, yes? I was an introvert so much to the point that I hated going and introduce myself to yes. somebody, because then I had to talk about. Yes. And I think in growing up, sometimes I didn't feel validated. Mm-hmm. So I began to just look at um, my fears as an obstacle that I was building between myself and God and an experience he wanted me to have. So I started to tear down all those fears and also asked for boldness and courage. And yep, totally. Now I'm a total extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> you can go the opposite way. Most people go the other direction. Yeah. Actually, I'm not sure quite which definition of introversion you're working with. Mm-hmm. Because an introvert isn't necessarily quiet and shy. Right. Um, they prefer small dinner parties to huge gatherings, and speaking is one. I think a big party is a reason to find an escape route, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean quiet and shy and fearful and all that. It right. can mean it's several different things. Well, and, and you're nailing something here. It's like there's always, what I'm getting at is there's always an excuse not to be the person to engage. And it might not be introvert, extrovert. It might be, oh, I'm not good with people, or I'm not, or I'm, sh- I'm quiet, or I'm not the person that feels comfortable doing that. But the point, of, the point of it is that there's never an excuse to not take the initiative relationally. Are you going to say something? Um, in the same way that there's always an excuse, there's also always an opportunity. Exactly. I'm an introvert, and it may not seem that way, but I understand that certain people would rather have a quiet conversation yep. than being in a huge room and be told, you know, what to do. Mm-hmm. I prefer that kind of connection, so I strive to make that connection when I meet people. Yep. And that no, no, nothing is an excuse to not be the for person to welcome or say hello or engage somebody, right? Uh, we talked about this, expressing yeah. authentic interest. Uh, you'd be, be surprised uh, how many people you could get together with. I think I'll, I'll beat up on guys just because I'm a guy. We can get together and talk for hours, maybe go on the golf course or something like that. You have four or five hours with these guys. And we talked about nothing. You know, like we, we just, we didn't express any authentic interest in the other person. We just talk about stuff, you know, or things, or sports, or... that one, didn't you? Yeah, or, or my terrible golf game. Um, I want to talk about uh, this, too, because it's, it's so important, is, is the, the, I think the way that we kind of enter into the sacred space of intimacy, into me-see, is asking questions, you know, uh, being a good question asker. Why not interrogating, you know, it shouldn't feel like that, or just one after another, just a barrage. Oftentimes, one question and their answer leads to another question. And it doesn't even have to be very creative. I've used this several times. You've said something, oh, tell me more about that. (laughs) You know, I didn't even know the exact question to ask about that, but I'm very interested in what you just said. Could you share more? Tell me more. There seems to be something meaningful behind that. And oftentimes, I, you know, with my good friends, we can be lost on a single, it started with a single question, and we went down that hole, and we went so deep, I'll come back and I'll talk to Tasha, and she'll go, well, how's, how's the wife? How's the kids? How's the this? And I was like, I have no idea. We didn't talk about that. He was like, well, what did you talk about? And, you know, I couldn't even share, I couldn't even recreate our conversation because it was so deep on one thing. I work with um, our junior high ministry. It's a, uh, we call it wildlife. Um, but... It's amazing to me. So six, seven, eighth graders were kind of going after these kids who are, some of them are really far out kids, and they're not interested in anything that has to do with the gospel at all. 
Um, it is amazing to me how quickly I earn a right with them, and I earn a privileged place in their life because I show interest in theirs. And it's authentic. I, mean, I, I told Michael the other day, I had coffee with one of them, and I came home, and I was like, I think I'm going to be friends with girls with this girl for a long time. She's in seventh grade, but she's really cool. So it's like, these kids, too, we're talking about youth. When was the last time we have asked a junior high or a high school kid, looked them in the eye in our parish, a question about their life? invalidated their life. When was the last time I did that? I gotta ask myself that question. And I think if we all left this room with one thing and did that this weekend, went to our parents, targeted out a high school or a middle school student, and authentically asked them, hey, how did baseball go this weekend? Or whatever, you name it. Imagine what that would do for our parish. So I, the question thing is a huge thing in terms of opening up conversation. Uh, I'm going to share a story that was uh, not my own, but it was shared to me, and it always stuck. Um, so a guy that I knew was in ministry, and part of his ministry is, uh, like many of us, they had to raise some sort of personal funds. So he was he lived in Iowa City and went to this uh, person's home that was willing to speak with him about perhaps, you know, giving some sort of a donation. So this staff person and his wife, Steve and Liz, is their, their names, they walked up to this home, and he noticed, Steve noticed a Hawkeye flag on the way in. And so he's like, oh, that's... Uh, maybe I'll talk about that, you know, like, and so that we walked in, and they sat down, and he, Steve was talking to the guy, and then Liz was talking to the, the woman, and Steve went in about, it was basketball season, Hawkeye basketball, and they had a conversation, but it really never went anywhere, and they left. Next, a few months later, they came back, and it was uh, another Hawkeye flag, it was football season, so it was, ah, baby, it's football, that was it, it wasn't basketball, it was football, so went and talked about football, Nothing. Nothing really happening there. Then Steve's wife, Liz, who was talking to this man's wife, said, hey, I noticed your roses on the way in. And the guy, you know, uh, her overheard this conversation said, oh, did you see those roses? And I've been working, I've been cultivating these roses, and there's, there's you know, ten different kinds, and I have this one from this place. And he just went on and on and on and on about his rose garden. It was his. It was his rose garden that was so, that meant so much to him. And you couldn't shut the guy up about, about it. Here's the point. Everybody has a rose garden. Like, I do. You know? You probably have no idea of what a few of my rose garden is. Dondre knows. You know? Because he's a good friend. My wife knows what my rose gardens are. I, I, I don't consider this like a personal challenge, but a, more of a curiosity. Like, what makes Deacon Dan, I had a conversation for maybe five minutes with a guy, and I, I intuited, I was like, you're from a farm, aren't you? And he said, yeah. Is that obvious? I said, yeah. Now I, want, I wanted to ask him ten questions, you know, about that. But I want to find out what makes him tick, what, what brought him into to this role, you know, that he has. Why do you do this, the, the thing that, things that you do? All right, everybody has a rose garden. When you find it, that relationship has just been one. Yeah. Okay. Our last caveat before we'll open it up for questions. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into this next, like, okay. in, in depth of sharing uh, stories of faith. We can go on after this one. Okay. You? All right. So there's a, just a few questions that uh, you can ask about um, that we've already asked you, but... The same ones. Do you really go go back? Um, the people on you start with your core. I'm sorry for this gentleman that Rick doesn't have a core at his parish. I'm sure you have. It might be an unofficial core. Actually, we've got probably a few dozen different cores. There you go. Just not one that calls itself an evangelist. That's right. But do you know them? How many people have worked with even in the parish? I work side by side every week with these people. I don't even know them. I don't, I don't know their background. I don't know where they came from. I certainly don't know what makes them tick. I don't know what they're afraid of. I don't know what their, their struggle is. I don't, I don't know. Um, do you know their stories? Uh, you know what motivates them or scares them or deepest desires? And there's a way, and this is probably a, a core of, of what we're going to share today, that has been the most helpful for us into developing the kind of relationships with our team. And that team, that core team, has expanded to kind of concentric circles. That's what evangelization does. It starts with this core, right? Start in the upper room, start with the 12, and all of a sudden, I can't believe that Jesus' plan was to just take 12 people and evangelize the world. That seems like a terrible plan. 
But that's the way he did it. And it, it kind of right-sizes it for us. So we're gonna, small. We're going to pause there and go to the last devotion thing, which is devotion to sharing meals, which was one of the things that came up in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, and for some reason, this can be a stretch for us. The idea of having somebody over to our home for a meal, can does anybody else get anxiety when you think about that? A little bit? Okay. How about inviting somebody to go out for lunch? Is that stressful? Raise your hand if you get anxiety. No? Okay. Father Tony always says this. We all got to eat. We eat three meals a day. Square meals a day, right? So why not take those opportunities to connect with people? Um, there is something. I, I wish that our dining room table could talk. The stories that table would tell. The places and people that we have connected with and the conversations we've had would be such an incredible story. Um, and think about that. Is your dining room table like that? Is your home a place where people see your life lived out in communion with other people? Can you have the courage to invite people over for a meal? And if it's uncomfortable, make it easy. But there's, there's a reason that the apostles talk about sharing meals together because there's something that happens in the breaking of the bread. We know this to be true as Catholics. So <laughs> we say this, and it can sometimes just be this perfunctory thing that we say. This is, not a, this is a non-negotiable. The first year that Michael and I came to St. Paul's, we were, we were outsiders. We were trans, Michael is from the Quad Cities, but he wasn't raised Catholic, so we were transplants. The first thing we did, we invited Father Tony over for dinner. Four hours later, we ended in prayer, and there was such a kindred connection. Um, we kept doing it weekly. But he hired us, and nobody knew us. And I think there was probably a little bit of, who are those people? <clears throat> so we knew that. We just wanted to get to know the community. And I believe that within that first year, we had upwards of 50 families over for dinner to our house. It was You guys, we have four kids. It was nuts. But I didn't care. I knew it was the way for people to see, like, there's, there's no pretense here. We just want to get to know you and be in communion with you. I think, I think we have to get over our fear and be willing to invite people into that part of our lives. And if that's a stretch, invite them to lunch. And take, take the opportunity of food to be a, a point of reference for you. Do you say any more of that? Uh, questions, comments, you know, so far. Yeah. I think that's a very important part. I, I mean, we have gotten to know some individuals in general, and they're single individuals who don't have family. Mm -hmm. So we made it a point to invite them at Christmas or yes. Easter, the special times when they might not have someone to go with. And now they've become almost like a family. It's, it's almost an expectation that they're going to be there for the holiday. How beautiful is that? We might not see them in between as much. Right. We might talk, but it's like it wouldn't be the holiday without that individual at yep. our house. Mm -hmm. yep. It's kind of strange. That's mm -hmm. awesome. That's how it's become. Yeah, so very helpful. helpful. Any other comments or questions about the, Yeah. I'm a, I'm a pastor of a uh, parish, and I been in ministry for about 38 years. Um, I've heard stories about asking shut-ins shut to pray for inactive Catholics. And I've heard a lot of great stories. And I think it's, it's, it's a, uh, uh, a way to bring them into the ministry of the church, too, as well, yes. saying that, would you pray for inactive Catholics? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, I really believe that offering suffering and, and prayers of, of people who suffer is powerful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. And sometimes the question is, how, it, sometimes it helps to, I would just suggest, if, how many of you have a school associated with your church? Many of you have schools associated? Some, sometimes the people that are involved in the school are not connected to the church or they're not as involved. That, I, I would encourage to praying over the names of students and, and, stu and school families along with parish family names, like really pulling those names out, I think is a good thing to do, too. Hmm. So go back to stories. Yeah. Anybody else? Other questions or comments? So with the meals, we changed our uh, faith formation program this past year and the DRE at St. Mary Williamsburg, and we now serve meals on Wednesday huh. nights to all of awesome. the kids. And yeah. the community that those kids have now, because there's lots of kids that school they wouldn't probably talk to each other yes. or whatever and they're sitting down together eating whatever I serve them yes. and they're just talking and it's fabulous. The benefit is, boy I've had to teach a lot of kids how to clean up after themselves uh, uh, because uh, they uh, don't know. They mm -hmm. talk about the table mm -hmm. and things yeah. like that. But just the fact that they all sit down together yes. and there's usually roughly 65 of them who sit down together, it's fabulous. That's so cool. So definitely 
food and, and that hospitality. It's a great witness. And it doesn't have to be large either. You know, right. it's like what? How did we? How did we bring fifty some families like into our home? Like we would just meet them like in the parish, and we would notice them, and we'd say, "Oh, I, yeah, I introduced yourself. I, I, I haven't seen you here before. I'm pretty pretty new." And then we would kind of go home from church like that day and say, "I kind of like those guys." You know, it's like, did you feel that? That was kind of nice. Let's, the very next thing, let's have them over for dinner, you know, let's in, invite them to dinner. And remember, like, some, some couples would come, and they, we would develop a friendship, and later they'd say, you know, that first time you invited us to dinner, we were, had a conversation on the way over, going, what do these people want? Right. <laughs> totally. Right. totally. There's got to be some ulterior motive here, but they realized later that, gosh, it was just, just for a relationship, and how freeing was that? So it doesn't have to be, it doesn't even have to be a huge meal where you're doing one family, one person. You know, a, a single. Or if it makes you uncomfortable to do it in your own home. I love it in the home because it's the most natural. But go out to lunch, go out to coffee. It does the same thing, but express an interest in people. Okay, here's, here's a, a, a thing that I think is going to be most helpful here. Okay. And this is the idea of life stories. All right. Um, I don't know. What do you call this? Life stories, your faith witness, your story of faith. If you want more in depth, Andre's giving a presentation yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, this is a primer for Andre's uh, presentation tomorrow, but it's been an absolute game changer. Getting to really know one another and one another's stories of faith. All right? So uh, I had learned this uh, many years ago by taking teenagers out to Colorado and a small group, about 12 or so, with a few guides for a week of backpacking. And every morning we would get up and read scripture and pray uh, individually, kind of find your spot in the mountains. Uh, and then we'd hike throughout the day. And every night, that was the favorite thing. Because at night, we did life stories. And what was life story? It was basically a pretty succinct uh, 10 minutes uh, where, let's say, uh, Dan would focus on his life, and he would talk about just major formative moments in his life. What was his childhood like? What were some of those experiences that formed him like, good or bad? What was his relationship with his parents? Where was God in all that? It wasn't two, two hours, ten minutes. We used a time to, you know, to keep people succinct. Uh, and then afterwards, and this is where the beauty came, people got to ask questions. Hey, you mentioned, you know, when you were in fourth grade, you had that experience. How did that affect your relationship with your dad? Or how's, how's the relationship with your dad now? And then he'd, he'd answer. Another person picked up on another part of their, their life story and asked questions. So there was a period of another, you know, ten minutes of questions. And then, hey, can we get two people here to pray for Dan? And so being the active listeners that they were through the story and through the, the question time, they would pray over what he needed prayers for. Holy cow. We started doing this with our core team because we looked over here and saying, I, I, Father Tony's a swell guy. I don't really know him. You know, I don't know him at all. Uh, hearing his life story, like I'm tearing up just thinking about it. <laughs> He's such a sap, sorry. <laughs> I really am. But... Um, because it, it, it gets to really who he is, and boy, can you ever relate. It draws you together into this intimacy, you know, that, that you were talking about. We, we've, done this with, uh, we've done this with so many people in our church. We've done it on our commissions. We've done it with pastoral leadership. We do it in every, in every Bible study that we have. If we form life groups or small groups, a part of the process is you share your faith story. Um, and here's what I often get. This is the, a lot of times we get this. I don't have a faith story. Yes, you do. You're baptized in Christ. You have a faith story. I've never thought about my faith story is the difference. So I had one man who did this with us in the beginning and said, looked at me and said, I don't have a story. And I looked back at him and said, you wouldn't be in the commissions if you didn't have a story. You know, he went home, he came back, and in tears he said to me, I've never thought about this in my life. It was the moment my daughter was born. I had eyes to see, and God came into my life in a way that was different. He had never thought, he's probably, he's got to be 70 years old. He'd never thought about it. What a, what a miss, what a miss that he hadn't put those pieces together and woven that story. So, so much happens when we do this for people and we help people set up the, their faith and look back and what more beautiful thing to give glory to God and the signs and wonders of our faith and our own life stories. And you talk about in, in, in talking to people, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to have the right answers. 
The right answer is your experience of the Lord in your life. That's the right answer. Nobody can question that. Nobody. Because it's your experience. But if we don't know our experience, we're not ready for evangelization. This is such a primer for evangelization. If our evangelization teams can't do this, we're not ready to go out. We've got to be able to reflect on our own story of faith and to know each other's stories of faith, too. So we did this uh, with a core team, and then we thought, all right, this is red, we're, we're red hot here. This is ready to, to go on to the, to the rest of the staff. We need to start uh, doing this with the rest of the staff. So the, the, at St. Paul's, they weren't used to even doing staff meetings. It would happen maybe once a quarter or something. And we said, all right, we're going to institute regular weekly meetings. And what do you think people's response to that was initially? Groan. Yeah, groan, grumbling. <laughs> yeah, not too great. You know, what is this? Uh, so, yeah. But we, we, we offered a brief spiritual reflection, some prayer, uh, and then we did life stories. And we uh, presented the expectation that every person, you know, would at one time, in one of these staff meetings, share their life stories. More grumbling until they started. And... It's powerful. It changed everything. I'll, I'll, I'll leave the person anonymous, but I'll never forget one person uh, was an administrative staff at our parish, and um, she had she was on the um, the uh, playground, and she was a faithful. Uh, she was raised by a faithful uh, family, Catholic family, and uh, she some girl was picking on her. You know, she was like second grade or third grade or something like that. And uh, she told the story about how that it came to blows and this girl slapped her to the point where her glasses went flying across the, 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 the parking lot, you know, that there the playground was at. And that because of her, of what was instilled in her and what she knew about what Jesus taught, she turned around. <laughs> He's got, I gotta finish the story. And let the girl slap. <laughs> great observation because there was some synergy obviously that, that let this happen but I will say that our we weren't ready for it when we first started which is why we, we pulled out that smaller crew that was there and I've talked to other churches who have done similar things it's like their staff as a whole it wasn't ready and so three or two people got together weekly and prayed and did this to get something you know to kind of move, let the spirit move and I think that that's a good approach to it um, but it's a great observation not everybody's ready for it we're going to fly through two, two yes, you have to work through the fear. Pardon okay. me? So you have to work through the fear. Yeah. yeah. And somebody mentioned vulnerability. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It's, it's always going to be a risk. You're always going to mention something and then you're going to get the grumbling yeah. and then you, then the, the, the tapes roll through your head. This isn't going to work. They're going to. They're going to. Right. Totally. 
Yeah. If, if you want a really, really practical next step, how do you do your story? Honestly, I've been in Andre's stuff when he's led this on how to share. He'll get into the nitty gritty of right of how to do it and give you some examples and sort of like um, breakouts to actually do it and do your own story. So it's a really good follow up to the, this conversation. Do you want to say anything? What's the nature of the pastoral staff there at St. Paul? So we, we are we are a staff. Yes. So we have the director. We're directors of evangelization and mission. That was a new position that was hired five years ago. Father Tony. We have one priest. We've had some associate and part time pastoral help, priest, priestly help. Um, we're moving into having a full time associate this next year, and then we have a director of parish life, um, and a youth minister, and a director of religious ed. So both the religious ed position and our, the religious ed is part time. Um, but that pastoral staff is who meets along with the principal and the associate principal. We pulled them into the meeting, the staff meetings about three years ago. So, Do you have non-staff volunteer lay, lay, well, not, not staff, lay people on your Those are mostly, largely our commission structure, which is our pastoral councils or our leadership is what we call it of the church who oversee the various areas. So that's sort of the next tier that we sort of go from staff meetings to that group and do very similar things with that group. So, yes, we, have, we've done life uh, stories with that group too. Do you, after you did this kind of one time, and, yeah. and both, do you go back and redo it? And, and do you do it a second or third time? Mm. That's a great question. We haven't. But it's... We, we haven't done it, but... You know, I imagine that the, the, the staff will change, you know, and so if we, we're, we're going to get a new uh, pastoral associate. Hi, there's my co-chair right there. Hi, Sharon. Well, yeah. I was just thinking that, uh, as, you, as you mentioned several times, many people have never done this before. Yep. They've never shared their story. Yep. And so, okay, so I can sit in the staff meeting and I can listen to somebody who's who's maybe done it or thought about it more, and so I start getting a sense of it. But, you know, it finally comes to be my time. There's only six of us. Yep. Uh, and so it's like, okay, it's week six, or it's, you know, we're doing it once a month, it's the sixth month, and yep. I'm the last one, and i got to do this, and I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing. And yep. I kind of model it after somebody else, and, you know, I, I do this a little bit. But it seems to me that, in fact, from my own experience with small groups, coming back around mm -hmm. with that sort of thing, Especially for some people, they're going to go a lot deeper. That's mm -hmm. a great idea. Mm -hmm. They're 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 going to come at their story from a little different perspective yeah. because yeah. they've grown from what they shared yeah. and from what they heard, and 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 we get new thoughts sometimes. You know, well, that you know, this was at, at this this week. As I think about my faith story, these are the things that that seem really important in my in my seventy years of life. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, six months from now, you know that that was a big deal in my life too. I, I yeah, it changes. Just a yeah. thought. Yeah, no, that's so a great, I didn't know if you did it. it yeah, it's a great okay. suggestion, and we've had people that have done it multiple times in different contexts. But okay. for the the group to come back together and repeat or okay. go over is a great idea. I like that a lot. Yeah, backing up just a little bit. Yeah, how many of the fifty people that you invited over invited you back out? <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> Uh, it, I mean, sometimes it, it works against you because you've got people that you'd like to invite over and they feel an obligation to return the invitation, yeah. but they are not in a position to. And yeah. if there's any advice or suggestions on ways in Iowa that you can do a favor for somebody and or not feel like that. <laughs> No, I mean, our, our experience, maybe less than 10% of people, and, you know, it was such a gift to have people over. It's actually easier because we have small children for them to come to us anyway, you know, so we don't mind, like, hosting no, people. I, um, I don't, either. I'm just wondering how you, if you ever have an issue with somebody who declines just because they don't want to be in a position of not being able to. Could be. I mean, we haven't had a ton of people could decline, but that could be a reason why they do, you know, we thought about that. I'm going to cover a few uh, real non-negotiables, like super fast. You can, I mean, we could have a whole segment on each one of those. But about our evangelization team, we've been really unabashedly Christocentric. We keep going back to the life and teaching of Jesus. 
uh, to be our, our model. We've re really relentlessly been missional. Like, it's not a fad. It's not like a, a thing of the month. Like, it's, this is it. You know, our mission is, is everything. We're very, very relational all the time. Uh, we're comfortable in the gray space. Uh, it's messy. We got to just get comfortable with it. Pope Francis talks about a frontier versus a laboratory, sort of a faith. That goes back to his own life story. Read his uh, biography. Some of you guys know his life story, so you know what he's talking about You know, there. Um, it was more prayerful and led by the Spirit than strategic. You ever get into the strategic planning mode and that is empty of the Spirit? You know, uh, This has been decidedly more, more prayerful. Uh, the fifth chapter of Joy the Gospel of the Spirit-Filled Evangelizers. But that's been kind of how, this is the culture of our evangelization team. This is what it's kind of been like. I think we are at time. Yeah, so, we are at time. So yeah. questions, comments, yes? So you guys are in a parish that has eight positions for people to About a parish that does not have that staff, and they're pushing us off, I mean, appropriately to lay people in. How do you get the right people in there that will come together regularly because it's not during business hours mm -hmm. these people would meet. It's yeah. on their own private time after their full-time job. Mm -hmm. yep. What is your recommendation on how to get a core team made, which includes possibly staff yep. after their hours, yep. mm -hmm. as well as people that are not on staff? Mm -hmm. That's how that's that was our first year experience. You know, the staff was doing their thing, but then we realized we had to take it beyond it. So we, we invited a lot of the people that we had over for dinner to our house at after hours. It was a late meeting, 7 to 8.30, and we did a lot of what we've been talking about with, there was about 30 people that joined us for eight weeks. We, did, we said, come join us. They did, we didn't tell them what we were doing. And a couple people showed up and was like, I don't know why we're here, but it was you guys, so we came. So they just came. And we just started to do this sort of thing with them, and they kept coming back. And of course, people trickle off, but that really built a core group within our church that started to understand what evangelization is about and what we're really, what our mission is. So it's going to take a little sacrifice in terms of it being, it's got to appeal to them at the right time, and I think it did require us to go a night meeting, and even if it's just for you know, a pocket of time, but it, yeah. And it's, you know, this culture thing, it's way more caught than it's taught, you know? And so sometimes you just absolutely do not have the right people in the room, you know, and it's not going to work. Uh, I think that we're always discerning, you know, right? And so when you meet these people, and you might know them, you might think of a handful of them in your parish that, that you know. Right, these, those are the guys that are really, I feel like, responding most generously to the Spirit. Let's gather those people, you know, for a night, you know, like this and see how they respond. You know, cast that vision, take a risk. What do you got to lose? Yeah. Go, go ahead, Peter. I guess my question is, we've talked about what we're doing internally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we get to an external? Yep. And yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I would just say concentric circles. Like, I think that the mistake that we're really trying to be a corrective of is jumping out too fast. You know, before developing a culture, even within those relationships that were that are closest to us, those people that we're supposed to be in collaboration with, you know, as the body of Christ, we're not even treating each other this way. How are we going to attract people who are out there? And maybe they're out there for good reason, you know. So I think we, we just, we needed to develop that, that core before we could go out. Well, and I will say too that simultaneously as we were taking that group of people in our home, we called it Missio Day, um, and walking with them, each week we had like a little application. Like, this week when you leave, Ask a couple people some questions that you wouldn't normally ask questions. See what happens. When you come back next week, we're going to talk about it. You know, so there is some opportunity to actually do some stuff while we're doing it. But Michael's right in the sense that we have to make sure we're modeling it and witnessing it first before we just take the marching artists out. But there is a way to do both and um, in a way that's centered, if that makes sense. And basically, we could add this to any question you have. We're open to talk about this more at depth. Yeah. You know, anytime. Obviously. So... Follow up with us, and we'll be happy to, Sorry, to work with you. Does St. Paul's does St. Paul still do this? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Well, what I wanted to ask is, when you're creating those core teams and are trying to build those relationships, how do you, especially when a group that it's 
diverse in age group, profession, uh, position within the church. How do you move beyond just, I guess, being church friends, if you will, into becoming an actual community mm. where you you become like family to them, even outside of matters directly relating to uh, the parish or evangelization, mm -hmm. because that, that I, I think too often, you know, we, we are very chummy together when yeah. we're in in the church or doing some activity, yeah. but outside of yeah. those contexts, yeah. we're not really being brothers and sisters. To yeah. each other. How, how do we get to that? Point? I think I would return that with, what do you do with your friends outside the church? You know, it's like, whatever you do with friends outside the church, do with those friends. You know, like, whether it's uh, coffee, maybe it's going out and a beer running has been a part of my life and I'm, I've been surprised at what a ministry has really developed out of a Sunday morning at 7 a.m. like we're going to run. We meet at my house and we hit the trail and, you know, sometimes 15 guys are showing up. And we, all, we, we run, we engage with each other, we're talking with each other as we're running, which is sometimes easier for males because we don't have to look at each other in the face. We can just do something. But then uh, on, on the way back, we always circle up and say, hey, this is just really simple. It's something we do. Uh, what do you need prayers for? And then we'll pray. And then, and, and guys love it. I don't know. We, in order to, to not just have it contained within the church, we got to invest in people outside the church. You know, out, and what, what I mean by that is the four walls of the parish. I'm going to wrap this up in prayer. Yep. Um, we will be here, and we're also available. We are in Davenport, and we would love to get coffee or talk if you have questions or want to share more and just kind of talk about your specific situation. But or have you over for dinner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is, are your uh, screens going to be somewhere on the website? They'll be on the website. Yep. Awesome. Did the website just go up? Uh, I don't know. Pardon me? Did the website just go up? Yeah. No, the, we no, the website's been up for a month. We can share the Oh, yeah, Vision 2020. All right, yeah. let me pray to close us out. So here we go, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, come, enlighten the hearts of your faithful. We praise you, Father, for the gift of every person in this room. I thank you, God, for their willingness to be here, for their willingness to say yes, for the way that you have touched each one of our lives. Lord, we stand here today or sit here in this room because you have chased us down and loved us with an extravagant love. And we praise you for that, Father. What a gift. And we ache for a world that is searching for that love to find it. And we ask, Lord, boldly that in whatever way you have equipped each one of us individually, we could be your ambassadors. So show us, Lord. Um, reveal to us the who in our presence, the who in our parish, the people that can help us as we um, take this fire and this passion into a world that is so desperately in need of it. Continue to bless this convocation, and thank you for these friends in this room. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.